For those of you who know me to be mature, steady, and stable-minded, I commend you. You're very accurate in your perceptions. Um, however, you may be surprised to know that when I was a teenager, I had a boyfriend with a motorcycle. Now, don't worry. He was an upstanding member of our youth group and a good Christian boy. I'll call him Scooby. When Scooby got his bike, he brought it over to show me, and I got permission to go out for a ride with him. I was anxious. I'd been raised to have a healthy respect and even a fear of motorcycles. We put on our helmets and went out for a ride. As we rode, I found myself a bit tense and worried, but I did enjoy hugging my boyfriend from the back of the motorcycle. As we rounded the turns in the road instinctively, I just held myself up straight. Um, I thought it would help steady the bike. Instead of leaning into the curve, I resolutely held myself upright. I congratulated myself for how I knew just what to do. I thought that Scooby would be pleased with how well I really saved us from disasters on the road. Now, Mike and John Howard are already cringing and groaning. They understand already what a dangerous cargo I was on the back of that bike. When we returned home, Scooby began laughing and shaking his head. You almost killed us, he said. I was so confused, having no idea what he was talking about. He patiently explained that my efforts to remain upright on the turns interfered with his being able to keep the bike upright. <laughs> he said that he almost lost control of the motorcycle every time we came to a bend in the road, all because of my antics. I thought I was saving us, but the reality was my way, my efforts were putting us in danger. Clearly, I did not really trust my motorcycle pilot, yet my solution for the problem was no good. For me, and maybe you, giving up control does not always come naturally. Life is filled with examples of this. Chinese finger traps, floating in the water, cooking rice without taking the lid off. Don't you just want to check? Looking at those CG hidden images, or those double image pictures, letting go is the solution to all of these puzzles. Tonight's gospel passage in Matthew invites us to come to Jesus and relinquish our precious control as we take on his yoke. I'm reminded of that old uh, Christian slogan from the 1970s, let go and let God. The slogan is a little bit tacky and worn, but the idea is sound, right? The idea of yielding control yet, for me, is by terms kind of horrifying on one hand and appealing on the other. To truly rest, to truly trust, to truly be taken care of and have my needs met, that sounds pretty great. But if I'm not keeping us upright on the turns, who else will? Can I really let go of that job? I love to hear tonight's passage in the King James Old English as I first learned it. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Still sounds too good to be true. Yet I'm so drawn by these words. Even as a believer for most of my life, sometimes I find it difficult to truly rest and set aside my own management shenanigans. Perhaps in our time together tonight, we can all take some 
steps toward the invitation in this passage to join Jesus and find rest for our souls. Now, although I was raised in Maine and received a certain amount of exposure to country and farming life as a result, I have little experience with yokes. Now I know that if Kevin were here, if he were preaching tonight up from this podium, no doubt he'd have a big flip chart and he'd draw a yoke for us. But since my drawing skills are subpar, I'm not a good diagrammer, um, I'll just make do with my words. In Jesus' time in a pre-industrial society, yokes were a common tool. Now there's two kinds of yokes. One is a simple wooden kind of harness used to hitch up oxen to pull a wagon. There's a piece of wood on the top with some leather straps or maybe some wooden fasteners underneath and the oxen put their heads and necks through it and then it's attached to a wagon so they can pull load. Um, another kind of yoke is one used to carry buckets of water, other packages across your shoulders. In that case, it's a long piece of wood you set behind your neck on your shoulders and then you have a load on either side that balances out. Um, this way, you can carry much heavier loads than you could otherwise. I always pictured the second kind of yoke in my imagination when I read this passage. However, with either image of a yoke, hard work is implied. Carrying or pulling heavy loads, it implies doing work for someone else and a lot of it. What a paradox. How does taking on a yoke for someone else give us rest? And what does it mean if I allow myself to hitch up to Jesus' wagon? And by the way, I'll just mention, just one tiny rabbit trail, it's no coincidence that in the next chapter, Matthew 12, which follows tonight's passage in the Gospel, Jesus points to the Pharisees' heavy, rule-laden view of the Sabbath directly after this sweet invitation to bear an easy yoke and a light burden. Jesus was identifying for his disciples and for us a different path, calling us to hitch our wagons with him rather than take the path harnessed to empty laws. Of course, as usual, Jesus is talking to us about the kingdom of God, which runs according to God's economy, where truths are concealed from the wise and the intelligent, yet revealed to the simple and the infants, where we are promised peace, where we are promised a secure foundation in God, no matter what storms may come, where abundant life flows from God, where we find acceptance, where we find forgiveness, where we find true joy, where we find rest. It is important to note that Jesus' invitation does not stipulate that we have it all perfectly together before we come to him. In fact, if we are weary and heavy laden, of course we are in need of relief and rest. I'm reminded of a story told by Watchman Nee, the famous Chinese evangelist. He said that in a conversation with a young man, the man said he did want to follow Jesus, but that he was far too young to do so at the moment. The man continued saying, the thief on the cross beside Jesus was saved, but that man had already had the opportunity to have his fling before he repented. So this young man said he would like to have maybe 40 more years or so to have a good time, and then after that, he would plan to repent. Um, Sadly, I can relate to him a little bit. <laughs> Sometimes I like, to, I like to hold on to my plans. Watchman told him, well, that's fine, that's okay. And he invited him to pray. Watchman told him to tell God what he had just said. Watchman explains, 
that the man replied, oh, I couldn't say that to him. Watchman replied, why not? Whatever's in your heart, just tell him. You tell it to him. He will help you. Finally, the young man prayed and told the Lord he did not want to repent. It told the Lord, and I'm sorry, that he did want to repent and be saved, and that he knew that he needed a savior, and he just cried to Jesus for help. But he said he wasn't ready. The Lord worked repentance in him, and he got up a saved man from that prayer. Watchman said that he repeated this story just to emphasize that what we cannot do, the Savior is at hand to do for us. It is for this reason we can tell people they need not wait for anything. Whatever their state, whatever their problem, let them bring it and tell it to the friend of sinners. Of course, to tell it to Jesus, to take on this yoke is a step of faith. It means letting go of other yokes and burdens that we've been choosing to bear. Where do the burdens we so readily shoulder come from? What is their source? To quote an old comic strip, we have met the enemy and he is us. It is not wrong to try to meet our needs for security, connection, health, survival, to work toward a stable mood and find joy in life. However, we humans seem to have a well-established tendency to do it our way rather than God's way. I think it dates back a ways, oh, perhaps to Adam and Eve in the garden. <laughs> our pride, our need for control, our anxiety, our fear leads us to load up our own yokes. No thanks, Jesus, I got it. I've got a better way. What do we yoke ourselves to? Gerald May, psychiatrist and author of the book Addiction and Grace, put it this way. Grace, Jesus, seeks us but will not control us. St. Augustine once said that God is always trying to give good things to us, but our hands are too full to receive them. If our hands are full, they are full of the things to which we are addicted. And not only our hands, but also our hearts, our minds, and attention are all clogged with addiction. Our addictions fill up the spaces within us, spaces where grace might otherwise flow. We cling to things, people, beliefs, and behaviors, not because we love them, but because we are terrified of losing them. They serve our purposes. These things can become our security. May call it addiction, but another word for it is simply idols, right? We elevate things other than Jesus' yoke and his kingdom, and we gladly embrace cheap counterfeits. They're familiar, seem secure. As a young person, my concrete-minded self was quite self-congratulatory about my Im immunity to idols. I never worshipped a golden calf. I have no idols. But of course, idolatry is not just about a statue. One blogger described idols as anything that we give ourselves to, anything that comes between us and that restful yoke that Jesus offers. As good, independent Americans saturated in the DIY culture, taught to pick ourselves up by our own bootstraps, we are trained to have faith in ourselves. We like to think that we have the answer for the easiest and best route. We seek unhealthy, ungodly, and often ultimately unsatisfying people, places, and practices to salve our wounds and fill up the empty places within us. We assume that they will give us the rest of what we need. Even as believers, we sneak back into the old ways. It's like a yoke? Uh, no, thank you. I'll just take the apple. I've got it under control, Lord. Uh, rest? Uh, oh, no, I think I'll work a little more and my boss will tell me I'm awesome. 
A tithe, well, no, that's okay. I think it's really wisest to save my money and certainly make a lot more of it. Consider the lilies of the field and how they neither toil nor spin, yet are beautifully clothed. Uh, God, I know you're a good provider. I think you'll come through for me, but I'd rather obsess and worry about it until that time when you do. There's so much to worry about. Money, COVID, family, politics. Forgive 70 times 7. Uh, you know, I really don't think that that bozo deserves either your forgiveness or mine. I think I'll just hold on to this resentment and anger a little bit longer. Cast your worries on me, for I careth for you. Um, no, thank you. I'm good. I'll just take the edge off with this drink, this food, this screen, this political cause, this thrilling, obscene video, this exciting gamble, this taboo relationship. And even apparently godly practices can become a replacement for the yoke of Jesus. I think the reason I am so drawn to this invitation to bear Jesus' yoke lies in my upbringing. I am thankful for much of the Christian training I received in my church as a child. I was a member of a church where evangelism was the number one priority, and this is a valid and important cause. If you truly find something that improves your life, you will share with those you care for. That is why we call the gospel of Christ the good news, right? But later in life, looking back on it, at least in that context, I see that at times I felt that I was part of a club, some kind of pyramid scheme, where your entire purpose is to get others to join the club, and then their purpose when they come in is to get others to join the club. I received a message of performance in order to stay in the club. Reminds me a bit of that um, passage that's to follow tonight, Matthew 12, the Pharisees and their yoke of rules. Lewis described it this way in The Great Divorce. If you are interested in the country only for the sake of painting it, you'll never learn to see the country. We don't want to join the club and forget the true reason for the club. Increasing the size of my church is an empty exercise without a close walk with Jesus, without learning from the one who is gentle and humble, without receiving rest for our souls. According to our gospel reading tonight, it's not about performance, but about surrender and rest. Whatever we call them, addictions, idols, self-imposed yokes, they are part of our lives. As part of our spiritual formation, as part of our path to sanctification, we are constantly drawn away from the yoke of Jesus to the counterfeit yokes of short-term delight. John Bunyan's spiritual allegory, Pilgrim's Progress, identified this pull to the old yokes. He wrote, Prudence asked, do you not still carry some of the baggage from the place you escaped? Yes, but against my will. Now, all those things cause me to grieve. Those things that are the worst still creep back into my mind and behavior. Whether we are anxious with worry, drinking too much, obsessing about politics, distracted by sexual thoughts, depressed with dread, or feeling betrayed by broken promises from loved ones or those in power, Jesus invites us once again to his road with his yoke. What about you? What are the idols you cling to? Are you carrying heavy burdens of performance, perfectionism, of doing and doing and doing? Are you yoked to a pharisaical strategy to earn grace? Are you clinging to people who take you away from Jesus? What empty substitutes do you turn to 
that disappoint you over and over. If you are someone who has never put your faith in Jesus, this invitation is for you. If you are someone who used to walk closely with him, but you've gone your own way, this invitation is for you. If you are someone who is a believer, but so weary from trying to do it your way and not fully leaning into the Lord, this invitation is for you. One of my favorite poets was an Anglican priest who lived in the 1600s, George Herbert. His poems are largely religious in nature. And these, even all these many uh, centuries later, they get to the heart of my modern Christian life. He wrote a poem called The Pulley in 1633. The premise of the poem is that when God created humans, he decided to bless us with many treasures, including beauty, honor, intelligence, pleasure. However, the poem climaxes with wordplay regarding the word rest. In this poem, God states, he did not give humans actual rest itself. He chooses to leave the already given gifts with us. He calls these gifts the rest of the gifts. The last two lines of the poem read, let him be rich and weary, that at least if goodness lead him not, yet weariness will toss him to my breast. Although God gives us many gifts just by virtue of being humans, created in his image, the gift of rest is given only in Christ. Our weariness is the pulley that draws us to him. Are you weary tonight? Let us lean into the turns and let Jesus be our trusted pilot. Let's take on his yoke and practice a daily turning to him in place of the other things that we have used to cope. Let us confess our counterfeit yokes to the Lord and leave them at his feet. Let us depart from the old familiar practices of idolatry and addiction that leave us restless with regrets and emptiness. Come to Jesus, all you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and he will give you rest. Come take his yoke upon you and learn from him, for he is gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Amen.